Welcome back to SideQuest, episode 36. Um, instead of Final Fantasy, again, a uh, part of our series with ongoing um, uh, luminaries in the field, you might say. And uh, we have not back with us, or we have back with us, not only Wes Lee Shantz, but also with a special guest, Mikhail Kulikov. And so first off, welcome back, Mr. Wesley Shantz. Hey, good to be here. And welcome to our guest. And Thank welcome. you. Thank you. And just to let the listeners know a little bit about you, uh, Mikhail, Mr. Kulikov, we've just recently met. You run the website animemingastudies.wordpress.com slash about uh, slash forward slashes. Uh, you're Mikhail Kulikov. You are uh, anime and manga studies projects and uh, run another website, www.animemingastudies.com. Your email is Mick at AnimeManga and your Twitter handle is at Anime Studies. And so thank you for thank you for coming on with us. Yeah, well actually first of all, just to clarify, the main website really is AnimeMangaStudies.com, though anime manga the WordPress is basically is just where it's hosted, but the domain oh, and the, the brand name that I'm trying to operate under is AnimeMangaStudies.com. And really what I try to do what I've been doing for actually a bit of time now is try to really be the central clearinghouse or sort of the central organizing point for the entire community in the U.S. and really around the world of all and for people who are actually interested in treating anime and manga from an academic perspective in the same way that we treat film in the same way that we treat literature and Actually, well, yeah, actually studying anime and manga, and more at the same, also actually formally developing anime and manga studies as an academic field. So, it we're not really at the point where you can, let's say, get an actual college degree in anime and manga study or in anime and manga studies. I don't think we'll ever actually get to that point, but we're definitely at a point where you can write papers on anime and manga, you can take classes, you can publish articles, and what I've been doing for quite a while now really is yeah, developing a resource that helps people do that. And I really do that through quite through several different activities. Again, running the site that collects news, new developments on that really. And yeah, just bringing people together, organizing events at different, uh, different conventions and Actually, doing quite a lot of different things that I hopefully will be able to talk about over the course of the next hour. Uh, definitely, and um, through your site, I think we we've talked to one other scholar so far that we um, found through your work um, listed there, uh, Helen McCarthy, over in the UK. Uh, we just spoke with her the other week about uh, Miyazaki uh, films in particular, but also sort of the general um, work that she does. Um, scholarly uh, investigations into uh, a kind of a new field. Um, and it's really exciting to talk to people uh, like you, like her. Um, and I think I, my first question for you, I guess, would be what uh, first drew you to uh, anime, to Japanese culture, um, and to the point where you've, you've developed a bit of a, a scholarly interest in it? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Helen's name. Helen is a very good friend of mine. I think I've only physically met her maybe once. But the thing is, 
quite a few of us really have been interested in studying anime and manga or approaching anime and manga in this way for probably about 20 years now. We've kind of developed alongside each other, but I've been interested in anime going back to really the 80s before I even knew that it was Japanese, but when I first saw cartoons that looked really drastically different from anything that I had seen before. And then in high school, and this would have been this would have been my senior year of high school, I was already definitely interested in anime, definitely interested in manga. And for our senior project in my AP English class, we were basically just given a completely free choice for our final paper. And I was like, hey, I can do this. Let me see if I can work a manga into a bit of my final paper. Hey, why not? Uh, My teacher was perfectly willing to let me run with this if I could actually justify it. And back then, and again, this is literally 20 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot out there, but I was actually able to incorporate uh, Hayao Miyazaki's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, the manga which at that point was one of the few manga actually available in English to begin with. But I was able to incorporate that into my final paper. And just the work, really how difficult it was to actually locate any kind of information on the manga and any kind of real discussion of that manga really drew me to the idea of, you know, let me see what else is available in terms of, yeah, the same kind of real critical writing on anime and manga that you would see on other film, on other comics, on Japanese literature in general. And from that on, I really just decided, you know, let me be the person who is interested in this. And at that point, again, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there were literally maybe a couple of dozen other people around the U.S. who were also interested in this. And at that point, a small community of us really began to develop. We founded a Yahoo mailing list, which is actually still around. We founded a very early, a couple of very early websites, which are still around. And from then on, that really is how it developed. And yeah, my my interest really grew out of that. And then eventually, when it came time for me to go to grad school, I was able to actually take some of that interest and build up on that. In, yeah, into my own academic career. So that makes me very interested because my question was originally going to be, what makes you think that anime is worthy of academic rigor and that sort of level of attention and sort of loving attention? Um, um, what is it because of its massive sort of explosion in sales and it's sort of jumping into American culture so much that you have entire parts of Barnes and Noble and large change book, chain bookstores give uh, shelf space to it? Or is it the depth of story? And the themes well, that are present in anime. It, uh, what is it? What is it that first attr- like oh, drew oh. you in, hooked you into this art form? I mean, for me, it really was the, the the story, the images, the themes that were so not necessarily different from what you see in American or other Western literature. I mean, some of the themes are, in general, actually fairly similar, but how they're presented or it's just another type or another kind of presentation. So in a way, there, there's nothing incredibly different about the theme, about what anime or manga show us, 
but it's a different aspect or a different angle. And it's sometimes, again, extremely interesting to see how Japan looks at the same themes or the same images that Western or that, for example, Russian media or Russian culture, culture interprets, but again, brings its own different perspective at it, perspective to it. So that in of itself makes it, makes it worth examining. Again, in the same way that we look at, let's say, French film or, or German film at the same way, in the same way that we look at literature from so many different cult- countries and cultures, completely regardless of how quote-unquote popular it is and how prevalent it is in, let's say, in American bookstores or on American television. But at the same time, yeah, once anime and manga definitely became as popular as they did in the late late 2000s and then as popular as they are now with Crunchyroll and Netflix, there's a completely different sort of aspect or trend in anime and manga studies that really looks precisely at the popularity, at the business aspects, at what is it that Crunchyroll and Netflix are doing that's making yeah, that's making it so popular. Why, for example, things like looking at Crunchyroll purely from a business perspective, purely as a business school case, or even at looking at the website, looking at the coding, and then looking at the community. For example, one of the papers that I published and actually that's been cited quite long, well, several times now, really looked at how the fan subbing community first developed in the mid in the mid two thousands, and looking at fan subbing communities as networks, in the sense of how were the fan sub groups actually organized. So that's another, and that and that was not something that you would necessarily think of as quote unquote anime and manga studies, but it was an interesting angle, and it turned out to be a very useful angle. Just to clarify, by fan subbing, you mean like uh, fans creating their own subtitles for films? Is that right? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, either films or anime episodes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, right on. Yeah. And um, could you just talk a little bit, like, to help me out and maybe some other listeners who don't know as much about the the niceties of the uh, terminology? Um, what's the difference in general between manga? and anime, and what's the difference in particular did you notice as you studied Nausicaa, the, uh, the manga, um, is it pretty close to the, uh, the film version that, that has come out since? Is it, uh, are there important differences at all? Or just in terms of the medium, do you notice some, some interesting differences perhaps between the two? Manga, of course, are just very broadly comics. And, the Japanese, and really the Japanese term can encompass Absolutely everything from newspaper cartoons, even even editorial cartoons, to the kinds of long-running comics or long-running comic books that have been going on for decades and decades. Whereas anime is basically anime a- animation, and again, that can encompass everything from a five-minute tele- television ad to the TV shows like Pokemon or Naruto to the feature films like Mirai, which was incidentally just as announced earlier today nominated for an Oscar. And with Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, the Nausicaa manga was, or the Nausicaa comic book was really was a much more elaborate work. It's four volumes, I believe, in English. It's something that Hayao Miyazaki worked on for quite a long time, and 
it's a much more elaborate work. You can definitely see that uh, Miyazaki spent a lot more time and put a lot more effort into it. And you can really see that the story in it is a lot more complex and a lot more complete. The Nausicaa movie, all, uh, all 90 minutes or however long it is, it's certainly visually striking and the themes are powerful, but compared to the, to the comic book, it of course cannot be as, as extensive or as elaborate. It's not to say that it's simplistic, but its themes and its, its imagery are different. It tells a similar story, but definitely not the same story. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I I just have two questions that diverge down different paths. So we'll have to be a bit Robert Frost about it, I suppose. One, I want to get more into uh, Hayao Miyazaki and perhaps the place that he he occupies within anime scholarship and within your circle, um, because he's somebody that we've studied in detail and done podcasts on. We're also working through Final Fantasy VII now, as well as... um, Wes has put out a full course series on Earthbound. And so I, I would say that we're sort of on the periphery. We're more uh, on like the media studies in general. And so we don't have any of the specific knowledge, like even learning the distinction between anime and manga was news to me. And it was, it made sense afterwards post facto uh, that of course anime would mean animation. But um, uh, the other question is what is it specific to the medium of manga or anime that it can do that other media cannot. You mentioned something about what Netflix seems to be doing with it. And a claim about Netflix is that it's, it's changing how people watch TV, that they give full seasons at once, that it's more like a God's eye perspective and that you get the whole narrative arc rather than you get getting it episodic. And so is there something about anime and manga, about the theme specifically that adds to its message in a way that another medium uh, doesn't? Interestingly enough, uh, with anime, at least with anime, uh, for quite a while now, for probably about the last 20 or 30 years, the standard way that anime has actually existed has been in the form of 13 or 26 episode, 26 episode series. So unlike American television, where the whole goal is to try to get as many episodes as possible and sort of exist in perpetuity, anime has really prioritized complete stories. And in a way, it is something that's longer than just a couple of hours, but shorter than, let's say, ten or seven seasons. So in a way, once you, you start something, you know that you're in for a somewhat long haul, but you're not in for like a 10-year commitment. And in a way, in a way that directors who work on anime series know that they're sitting down to tell a story. But at the same time, that story is somewhat restricted by, yeah, by that, num- that number of episodes, if that makes sense. And I think, at least for me, that's actually always been something that's attracted me to, to anime. When I start something, again, I know what I'm getting myself into. Unlike something like Game of Thrones, where, hey, you start the you start the start the first episode, yeah, and and even if you've read the books, I mean, it's now been what how many years that we've all been caught in this thing. Um, I mean, definitely with with manga. On the other hand, yes, 
there are series that go on for years and years and years. And at the same time, again, with anime, a lot of the popular ones, especially the ones that are actually adaptations of manga, do go on for years and years and years. But again, I think a lot of the appeal of both of these forms of entertainment is that they are complete stories with defined beginnings and endings. And in fact, there's actually been a lot of criticism in the way that Netflix has now come into this market and they're really seeing their, the anime series that they're funding as complete series, just dumping everything right out rather than putting them out one episode at a time, let's say over the course of half a year. Yeah, this this process um, sort of does seem, there seems to be something rather different about that when you get to see the entirety of a storyline, like in sitting down and watching a movie or a feature film, you know, versus um, tracking the development of a story over a decade yeah. or more, with, right, with Nausicaa as a, as a manga. Um, do you feel like there's um, something that's uh, gained by the compression, though? Like, I feel like as as popular as the uh, the book sales have been, um, it does seem to me that the the marquee uh, format is still the film. Um, I don't know if that's maybe just my own bias um, since I, I'm more familiar with the movies, but but do you feel like there is something to be gained by that that compression of the story into into a single kind of um, arc of one movie? I think it really depends on what you what you're trying to say, and I feel like there are some messages that can be said in two hours, and a lot of others that cannot. And I mean, the other thing is, and I've seen this point made by people who are probably a lot smarter than me. Many fans don't necessarily watch anime or even read manga for the story or for the message. They read manga, yeah, they experience this for the visuals because they literally just like like looking at the characters or like watching the characters interact and they really don't mind spending time with the characters for half an hour every friday after work or whatever it is or yeah picking up the volume of the manga every every couple of weeks after work so there again there are benefits to both of those modes well again yeah go on Wes. I, I was just going to follow up, though. I think for us, the two of us, that is, Alex and I, we come at things, I think, definitely from a more of a, a story perspective um, and even like an analytic, uh, insofar as we, we attempt to analyze stories, we still, I think, appreciate their sort of completeness. Um, and I, I, for one, am a lot less sensitive to nuances of, of art you know, um, style and, and the visual aspect of it, I suppose. Um, and so I just, I, I think that's probably, again, sort of coloring my approach to this. But but I would also say that, you know, part of what attracts me to anime is its, um, its virtue as a kind of stylistic marker, which yeah. is like really vibrant and, um, and it does cross uh, media. You know, you see it a lot in in video games, for example, which I'm also, you know, really interested in. And so um, I think I, I guess I need to study a bit more than like some of um, what's behind that, uh, that visual sort of marker or, um, or style and, and how it translates and maybe how it doesn't translate from, uh, from the page over to um, the screens. 
Yeah, I mean, I, maybe this is almost for you. There isn't, you didn't see it as much, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago, but you're definitely seeing it now that there are so many video games that are very obviously anime-inspired, and there's definitely a lot of back and forth. I mean, okay, granted, a lot of those video games are still consider, considered fairly niche, and they don't really get a lot of coverage in the Western press. I mean, something like Persona is probably the biggest one, but then you talk about something like mm, the Sanuki Psyche games, the Tales of Cold, yeah, Trails of Cold Steel, and that really gets barely any name recognition. And that's really probably one of the most well-known ones of the quote-unquote anime-inspired video games that are out there right now, but there are like, there are so many others. So I'm really interested, again, in a diverging question. Are there no yeah. differing groups of people who gather by means of interpreting anime in certain ways? Like they appreciate a certain aspect, like some people are interested in, uh, I don't know, the picture aspect, the stylistic yes. aspects, whereas other people are interested in, I don't know, the deepest possible themes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely people who, I mean, at least, at least on Twitter and quote unquote on the internet, who are paying very close attention, yeah, purely to the to the visual and aspects and people who who collect actual anime art or the cells and who really pay yeah pay very close attention to that, pay very close attention to the music, pay very close attention to things like character design, and of course then yeah there are people who really get a kick out of analyzing the the writing or the, the characters. So there are as many things you can do, or probably even more things that you can do with anime than you can do with film. Yeah, uh, and oh, when you yeah, when you come to these kind of conferences where where people come in and kind of mingle, um, what what is that like? I've I've only been to like one or two comic cons before, uh, never one that was like specifically dedicated to anime or really really highlighting that particularly um but but what is that community like when when people like that get together and, and get to share their different perspectives i mean honestly if you've been to a comic con or a comic con comic convention the overall atmosphere at an anime convention is very similar and there's a lot of overlap the overwhelming majority of people are just there to have fun and sort of just be in the atmosphere but enough people are there actually to sit in the panels and to listen to somebody talk because there's still, it's, it's legitimately fun to listen to somebody who is authoritative, to somebody who's making a very good case, to somebody who actually enjoy, likes talking about something that they're a good speaker on and who, and yeah, somebody who is a good lecturer. I mean, That's in a way, maybe maybe one of the features, or I guess features of this community is that, hey, a lot of us are legitimately interested in learning things that we don't necessarily know, and a lot of us appreciate, commun appreciate communication and appreciate knowledge. Well, we love to hear that because we're looking to speak at a San Diego version of this um in the next couple months and i live in san diego so we we may have to um we may have to get into this comic-con this um upcoming year and see yeah, i mean uh, <laughs> i don't know if you guys are going to be able i mean at this point well yeah i mean you you should be able to at least 
look around Comic-Con if you haven't been to Comic-Con before, at least if you're, at least if you're in San Diego, you won't have problem, any problems with, with the hotel and those kinds of things, but it's always worth checking out. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, the big anime convention in North America, in the U.S., really, the biggest one in is is in L.A. over the 4th of July weekend, and if you have nothing better to do, or, or if you just want to even come up for a day, that's always something kind of absolutely mind-blowing just to take a look at. That's the kind of thing I'm into, mind-blowing. Uh, so, yeah, no, I didn't know if it was your, your go, Wes, but I do have a question all right. beyond <laughs> that. So um, we've been, we've sort of given pride of pl- pray, or excuse me, pride of place to Hayao Miyazaki um, in first studying him in segment and in, in an episodic way. But we, we also confess something of an ignorance of, you know, the full canon of anime. And so I'm, I'm wondering whether there are known hierarchies within the expert community and within the fan communities too. Uh, like where, and, and where Hayao Miyazaki within some of those stacks up, like, is he considered, you know, just sort of classic and old? Is he considered one of the best? Um, do anime mm. fans see different uh, theories in that sort yeah. of way? At this point, I mean, Miyazaki, pretty much Miyazaki is not even sort of the classic. Miyazaki is almost beyond the classics. He's um, essentially broken out of the anime world. At this point, he it's almost impossible not to, oh yeah, it's almost impossible not to know how Hayao Miyazaki, if you know anything at all about Japanese film or anything at all about film. And if you are anyhow into Japanese animation, at some point you have seen Miyazaki's films, it's entirely possible that you'll probably have seen all or most of Miyazaki's films. In fact, in the academic community, there's now some criticism that there's too much attention on Miyazaki, paid to Miyazaki and not enough to other directors, other creators, and some criticism that there's too much tendency to just assume that Miyazaki is representative of all of Japanese animation, that it's almost as if saying that Walt Disney is representative of all of American animation and that oh, all of American animation ever is exactly like Disney. I, so, I see that that seems right to me like that there's there's figures who are so sort of transcendent that they can yeah. um make it very difficult to see some of the rest of what's going on i think on the other side of that though you know those those figures for that very reason are worth kind of placing in a still larger context you know of of world yeah. um, culture right and and worldwide uh mythology and 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 literature perhaps if you know yeah no absolutely and in a way Miyazaki makes it or he sort of welcomes it because he places him he has actively engaged with literature and with film with media outside of Japan his films have always drawn on things other than ju- just Japanese art some of his Animation has always been inspired by European settings or European motifs. Uh, Some of it has been inspired by Soviet animation. Uh, There's a famous quote from Helen, from Helen actually, I don't know if she's ever mentioned that. uh, 
Europe that should, quote unquote, should have been, but never was. I may be misquoting, but the basic idea is, yeah, he has always tried to represent the Europe that in his mind should have happened had World War II never happened. And then, of course, in things like his last movie, Wind Rises, Wind Rises, he reached out extensively to European literature. So he is very much a cosmopolitan and a worldly filmmaker, and he's definitely in conversation with the world. So he, it's impossible to talk about him without talking about other things that are sort of bigger than him. Well, I love that because we're we're very much into the idea that one thing great art does is connect to more great art. And um, well, that just makes me, uh, that, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm forgetting my question right as I ask it. This is something I do on this show fairly frequently, but ah, yes, here it is. So say we want to become students of anime and we want to get, you know, sort of a, a rough bare bones background in it as quickly as possible. What are the classic animes we have to see and why? And what are the modern ones that are either hot or overlooked that you think are great right now? And what's great about them? Oh, so, I mean, you probably definitely want to see at least a couple of Miyazaki's films. I mean, probably spirited or probably yeah, spirited away and probably Princess Mononoke just because they are so sort of there, especially because it's going to be so hot in the next few weeks with the live action movie coming out. You probably want to see the old Battle Angel Alito um, short anime, the OVA, from, and that's only literally, I want to say 45 or 90. It's not very long. I, I can, it's probably 90 minutes. So you may want to take a look at that. You probably want to take a look at Cowboy Bebop just because it's something that's fairly approachable. It's something that's represent that's fairly representative of sort of the best of what anime can be. I'm, I'm trying to think of what's recent. You actually, I think it's important to take a look at the kinds of anime that are stereotypical. Because, again, when you look at sort of the very high, the very artsy, the very critically acclaimed, it's easy to assume that all anime is like that. So I think it's also worth taking a look at the latest episodes of Naruto, the latest episodes of My Hero Academia, the latest episodes of One Piece, just to get a sense for this is the anime that is actually popular, that is actually being watched. Uh, you may want to take a look at, yeah, some of the series on Netflix. Um, something that I'm watching right now is Sirius the Jaeger. Again, it's a Netflix show. It's fairly unremarkable, but very, very stylish. And I think it gives you a good idea of how anime looks like in 2019. And mm, I'm trying to think other shows that I would recommend. Honestly. Pretty much anything that is available right now on Netflix, I think, well, the new shows that are on Netflix, I think give you a good cross-section of how Japanese animation looks like in 2019. The different genres, the different kinds of approaches, the, yeah, the different, really the different audiences that Japanese animation is trying to attract. And do you think that uh, things have sort of developed uh, in the past 20 years or so as 
Japanese animation has come to kind of a more worldwide audience. Have they, the creators that is sort of adjusted to um, serve that audience in any particular way, or do they sort of follow their own inspiration and the audience has to kind of adapt to them? Or is it maybe a bit of, of both? I think there's, I think um, Japanese creators are probably definitely cognizant or recognizing that there is a global audience. You're definitely seeing anime with more international or non-Japanese characters. You're seeing some shows that are very explicitly set outside of Japan. I don't think anybody on the Japanese side is really asking, oh, how will this play in Los Angeles or how will this play in Omaha? But I think at least creators are realizing that there is now a global audience for anime. And of course, then the other thing is now that Crunchyroll and Netflix are putting money on the table, they may have some influence in what is actually being made, but it's, it's not a very explicit influence. And of course, then there's the entirely other question of shows that are completely being animated in Japan, but committed, just commissioned entirely by American companies, things like the, the Castlevania animated series, and whether or not those can be called anime, that's a completely separate question. So we just recently had our friend the Inkstained page from the Well-Read Mage page on here. Uh, to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. And a claim that he made, which we were really impressed by, was that um, playing Dungeons and Dragons is good for the soul as sort of a diversion from other things to focus on maybe more important things. Um, and so to what extent do you think anime is good for the soul, as it were? Uh, because I think sometimes it gets a bad rap that it, it, can, it can be seen in a light as sort of more like candy rather than something of great substance? Well, in the same way that reading, in the same way that really any kind of entertainment is good for the soul. Whether, again, whether it's, whether it's watching a movie, whether it's going out to a game, and at the same, at the same time, anime can, or anime or manga can let you engage with something intellectually, or it can be pure, complete fluff. And you know, after a day in the office, there's really nothing wrong with just letting your having something to completely take your mind off and just relax, just relax and hey, just watch something that you enjoy. So, anime is good for, as good for the soul as anything else that, yeah, calm, calms you down, that takes your mind off things. Yeah. See, those do seem like I think related um, effects. And I, and I am curious about how that might change over time. Like as you become more deeply, you know, studious of, of the art form of it, uh, does that um, second form of sort of relaxation, of just kind of uh, letting your mind wander and enjoying, you know, does that ever sort of go away? Does that just sort of remain the same as you, as you study it more deeply? Mm. At least for me, it does. I mean, maybe some people just become so intellectually engaged that they have to analyze everything. I think there's there's a lot to be said for being able to just enjoy enjoy pure, yeah, purely on a sensory level or purely on an aesthetic level. Well, yeah, and it's and just like again, the anime with the interplay of the visual, the musical. And so many different 
things and factors that it's almost designed to be enjoyed on an, on that kind of aesthetic level. And so is, is there a great dream towards which anime is striving? And is that, is that better and better representation or is it even like, as you said, Hayao Miyazaki attempted to represent the Europe that should have been had there been no terror of the world war and horror of the world war. Is that what anime is attempting to do to reality? To make to, oh, anime uh, is striving towards the dream of making money for whoever is producing it. <laughs> that, that is the that is the one thing that again it, we have to always keep in mind. Hayao Miyazaki, as a director of big big ticket theatrical films, and who spent years and years and years toiling in the front lines as a purely commercial animator, is an absolute outlier as as an auteur he is in a very unique position the vast majority of japanese animation is sponsored either by companies that are buying commercial time or it's there to sell to sell toys or it's there purely to be shown and then to promote to be sold off as sold off as dvds or to promote the sale of associated merchandise and the the one thing that you really should remember is that the yeah, the vast majority of Japanese animation is blatantly blatantly commercial. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of like Pokemon right now, um, yeah. which came out when I was like in a, a very important time in my life, like in middle school. That was like the yeah. thing to do after school is watch Pokemon episodes and play the video game and maybe do the card game if you really were into it. So. Yeah, I mean, hey, Pokemon brought you joy, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, I still find myself, like, itching to play Pokemon sometimes. Like, I won't, yeah. I won't ever probably get that out of my system, honestly. I literally just yeah. told my girlfriend to her, to her horror that I was thinking about picking one up. And so that might be a weekend at some point. Um, but I have another question. So I, I, I do like um, getting this perspective on anime, and this is helping me to understand why I see the things I see. And so I have two questions. Are there certain character types that you see repeated over and over in anime? And is there anything unique to that that you don't see in more Western um, media, whether it be movies, novels, or, or animations? And uh, also, do you see a coming together or a divergence of well, animation like Disney and anime? I mean, one character type that I see and that, I mean, that I've always sort of liked is somebody, well, actually there are two. One is, and I've seen this both in anime and in Japanese video, video games, is a character who is just incredibly pure-hearted and just not cynical at all. And I think in Western media, that kind of character type is just not popular. In, in, Jap in Japanese culture, I feel that's something that's always held as a priority. Somebody who is just incredibly pure-hearted, incredibly helpful, incredibly friendly, um, incredibly loyal to his or her friends. And again, that, and that's yeah, something that's not really been popular in the West in a long time. And uh, this, another character type in anime 
is somebody who, again, at the same time, maybe is a bit of a loner, maybe a bit aloof, maybe a bit almost not independent or antisocial, but kind of a loner, but will almost sacrifice him or herself for his friends. And again, that's a t- that, and that goes back to sort of the self-sacrifice ideal that is still there in Japanese culture and in and in Japanese media. But again, that's also a character type that I think you see quite often in Japanese Japanese animation and very or in Japanese media, and very very rarely in the West. And then, as far as your second question, I think over the last probably. Well, yeah, 10, 15, 20 years, we've definitely seen quite a lot of stylistic influences in Western animation as people who've grown up on anime are now becoming Western animators. And even if they're not completely importing the anime style, they've been influenced by some of it. So we're definitely seeing Western animation change, if not necessarily the big ticket sort of Disney animation, then definitely a lot of other TV shows, and I think it's hard to deny that a lot of what is on American TV, or, uh, oh yeah, animated and on American TV right now, is at least somewhat influenced by animation, by anime. When you describe those characters, I can sort of picture like uh, Hiro Yui from the old uh, Gundam Wing anime. Yeah, no, absolutely. You absolutely. Know, that loner character. Um, and that pure-hearted character who came to mind right away was like characters from uh, Kiki or uh, Totoro, you know, those those kind of child-like. Yeah, no, absolutely. But not even not even children. Like you'll see, you plenty of teenagers and even even some adult adults who are again in, in the West. Somebody like that would be written off as just too naive or just too silly. But in enough anime and manga there's just no such thing as too naive so the character that i think of right now as you're talking is actually prince uh prince mishkin from dostoevsky's the idiot um yeah if you're familiar with so like yeah i am you have like a holy fool almost kind of idea is do you see a a resemblance there oh i do Mm. It's not actually a resemblance. Um, Japan um, in the late eighteen or yeah, the late eighteen hundreds, um, Russian or classical Russian literature definitely had an influence on Japanese literature. So uh, Japan is definitely familiar with the character archetypes, but did not necessarily adapt them entirely. So yeah, um, okay. yeah I haven't necessarily I haven't looked in, into this. As much, so it's entirely possible that Japan adapted sort of the holy aspect of that, but not necessarily the full aspect. That's that's where I was kind of going with that question is about religion in particular, um, the way that particularly Christianity and, and Western religion uh, generally is is represented in anime as a kind of um, you know it's it's for its iconography, for its uh, emotional valence at times. Uh, it, it's very interesting how that's drawn in. And then also, on the other hand, like some more um, sort of autochthonous uh, Eastern traditions are, are also brought in um, in certain movies, I suppose, maybe I think a little less uh, overtly at times are, are, are latent there. 
Um, I, I, how much has the uh, the religious um, aspect of of these works been studied, and who, if anyone, is doing some interesting work in that field at this time? Oh, there's a gentleman uh, by the name of Julian Baraka Thomas, uh, who who does a lot of work on uh, Japanese yeah, religion in Japanese culture and Japanese popular culture specifically. Um, and I believe she has looked at some of the aspects of this. From everything I know, again, a very, very small proportion of Japan's population, something like 1% is actually Christian or practicing Christian. So to the extent that they draw on Christian symbols, most of it is, oh, this looks cool. It's not because there's really any kind of deep meaning or any kind of real attempt at interpreting the symbols it is purely because it looks cool and because there's nobody to really tell them oh you really should not do this this is actually a lot more complicated than it looks like that's that's pretty funny i like that very clear-eyed view of it and it reminds me y'all were, were talking about character types the one i always liked was sort of like the cold aloof loner like the seshomaru for minu yasha or the Prince yeah. uh, Kuchiki uh, from Bleach. And, but it also makes me think of a character we've been confronting again, who I think we may have flipped on uh, in our youth, or at least in my youth. I was a big fan of him, but Sephiroth. Or is he worthy of being one of the grandest villains of all time? Or yeah. no? Although at the same time, I mean, you think Sephiroth, I think, clear representation of that kind of character is Vincent. Definitely in Final Fantasy VII and even more so in the spinoff in, God, what the hell was that game called? Dirge of Cerberus. Yeah, Dirge of Cerberus, which I, which I actually played, which I beat, and which I remember like nothing of whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, um, as far as the the Final Fantasy series goes, um, in some ways that's kind of where I got into anime actually was, was through video games. Um, and I, I'm curious, like, how much uh, overlap is there in the fan communities? I imagine quite a bit and maybe more in the scholarly communities surrounding video game studies and anime studies. I actually feel like as far as, far as the scholarly community, there's not a whole lot. I mean, I feel like all of us who are in our, let's say, late 20s, early, mid 30s, we all grew up watching anime and playing video games. But I feel like then people only have so much time on their hands. So it's almost like you pick one or the other. And I almost feel like at this point, the anime studies community is a lot more robust than the number of people who are doing Japanese video game studies. There are a few people I can think of who are doing both, but not many. But again, at the same time, I think pretty much everybody is familiar, around is familiar with all of these sort of the classic Japanese video games. But as you go, as you go forward, I mean, in a way, maybe some of it is also, hey, especially now, it's a lot easier yet to spend 
time on catching up with some of the new anime than it is with sitting down and spending 50 or 60 hours on a new video game. So that makes me wonder to what extent um, the academic community surrounding anime is different from the fan community? Is it a subset of the fan community? Uh, in what way do they interact and set sort of the agenda for anime? Or is that always corporately driven? And, and just additionally, I wanted to know whether there were any big topics that were either perforating through the fan community or the academic community and, or, or even potentially any scandals. Well, the academic, I mean, the academic community, as you can imagine, is older. I mean, we've got uh, people like Helen, we've got other professors, professors like Susan Napier, people who are in their 50s and 60s and even older. But generally, hey, to be a professor, you probably have to be at least in your 30s, whereas to be a fan, you can be in your teens, you can be in college, you can be, yeah, so there, there is necessarily an age an age difference there is uh i mean hey we have different demands on our time on the other hand i let's say have a lot more money right now than i did when i was in high school or college and i can afford to do a lot more with my time and my money so there's no and so there's that kind of difference as far as uh, the second part of your question I mean, there are definitely controversies going on in the fan community right or right now. I don't know if you're aware of any of them, but uh, there's in literally in the last couple of weeks, there's been the beginnings of an, an effort in the in the fan community bringing to light accusations of sexual sexual assault and sexual improprieties at anime conventions and within the anime fan community. Uh, some of this will possibly come to light or be publicized in the coming days. I think there's been already a couple of articles about this on Kotaku and then some of the other press, but I think this will become a lot more widely publicized probably in the next few weeks. So that seems like in some ways that community is just very much a part of the general, you know, movement of culture and, and society that we're, we're experiencing right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I was going to ask just to kind of conclude here. I think my last question is sort of about maybe personal lessons that you've learned, um, things that have really stuck with you. As you mentioned, like some games, some experiences maybe are, are, are very light and, uh, and ephemeral, they, they pass by. But may, maybe some others have, have stuck with you and maybe um, some of your early, the earlier things that you really first got interested in or, or really amazing things that you've come across since, um, some of your times getting to know other people in this community. Uh, could you just speak about some of that from, from maybe a more personal standpoint if you're, if you're comfortable? I mean, honestly, some of it is as simple as being at an event and, re and realizing that there's so many people who are legitimately interested in this and being in a room with several dozen or if not, or possibly even a couple of hundred other people who are interested in this and speaking to them, meeting people and 
again, just seeing that all of us are are coming together over over this and really just interacting, really building up friendships. I mean, you build up friendships over all kinds of different things, but in a way, hey, a bunch of us built up a community over this particular sharing, shared interest. And this goes to say about anime and manga in general, so many of us built up uh, com- so many communities over the shared interest. All right. So my All last right. question is this. It's personal. It's just yeah. my own edification. I'm a teacher of the Odyssey and of Greek and Roman literature. Yeah. Friday night, I have two hours. What should I watch? Let's see. If you can dig it up, uh, there is an awesome anime series called Melody of Oblivion. I don't know if it's actually streaming anywhere. It might still be on DVD, but it's from like five or six, probably 10 years ago now, but it actually has a bunch of allusions to, to Greek myth. And especially for somebody like you, it's actually completely go- going to blow your mind off. I mean, there's episodes centered around the, the Minotaur. There, there's a b- episodes centered around a bunch of all of the standard Greek myths. And you're going to have a lot of fun just being like, oh, man, I did not. I cannot believe they went there. <laughs> Far out. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. Now I've probably lost Alex for a few weeks here while he goes and uh, binges on Melody of Oblivion. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's streaming anywhere, but take a, look, take a look at it. I mean, I seriously have like the DVD box set sitting right there in front of me, but that's because I have a lot of different things sitting right there in front of me. Yeah, no, no, seriously. Thank you very much, Mikhail Kulikov, for joining us on, on SideQuests here and kind of uh, and opening us up to some of the the scholarship that's out there and some of the uh, material that's out there. Uh, well, well worth um, anyone who's listening's time to check out your website again, uh, animemangastudies.com. Yeah, so web- yeah, website is animemangastudies.com. If you guys have any questions or if you want to reach me for anything, you're welcome to. Twitter is at anime studies. And my email address is mik at animemangastudies.com. Thank you very much, guys. It was a pleasure talking to y'all. All right. Take care. Hope to have you back soon.